most people don't view themselves as being in an abusive relationship unless there's punches. And often I will say, if those words were punches, would you be bruised right now? Would you be black and blue? And if the answer is yes, then we got to look at that. Most people don't have hope anymore. They've been trying. The marriage hasn't felt good for a while and they've been trying. They've been trying everything they know to try and it hasn't worked. So then they feel like, I guess it's hopeless, but then walking through divorce feels terrifying. So then they just get stuck right there in this place of, I call it comfortably numb, where they're not taking steps towards making it work and they're not taking steps to leave it but this is a known thing that they can wake up in every day and they can continue to exist in every day, even though it doesn't feel good. You have to believe that you are worthy of being loved because everyone is worthy of being loved. Is your child's challenging behavior leaving you feeling exhausted, defeated, and hopeless? You are not alone. And I want you to know you are not a failure and your child is not broken. Welcome to Calm the Chaos Parenting, the podcast for parents raising strong-willed, highly sensitive, or neurodivergent children. I'm Dana Abraham, parenting expert, and I have helped hundreds of thousands of families just like yours. Each week, I'll share simple science-backed solutions to help you feel more grounded, in tune, and deeply connected to your child, no matter what challenge you face. Start your journey from surviving to thriving as a family at calmthechaospodcast.com. Hey, 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 guys, it is Dana here, and I am back for another episode of the Calm the Chaos Parenting Podcast. I am so excited about our conversation today because it's one that I don't hear a whole lot of people talking about, but it's something that inside of our community, I hear parents struggling with quite often, and it is this mismatch between themselves and their partners, meaning that they struggle to communicate or they struggle to make decisions together, and sometimes that might be you know, oh, I want to join Calm the Chaos, the program, but I can't talk to my partner about it. Or it could be, I want to try this new way of parenting, but I can't talk to my partner about it. It also could be, I want to do this thing for my family, but I can't talk to my partner about it. And anytime I hear women especially talk about not being able to talk to their partner about something, I always say, is it only around stressful things you feel like you don't know how to talk to your partner around? Or is it that you can't talk to your partner at all? Because we might have a bigger situation on our hands if you don't feel safe bringing up hard topics around your partner. So I've brought on a really good friend of mine. I am so excited to chat with her because she talks about this very small space in time where you have to make a decision on should I stay in this relationship or should I go? And how do I identify those signs that this might not be a safe relationship? And I don't think enough people talk about if it's a safe relationship or not. So Sharon, welcome. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today. I am thrilled to be here. Thank you for inviting me. And I just can't wait to share anything that, that is helpful to your audience. Like I said, this is a topic that's near and dear in my heart because I grew up in the South where you get married really young and you grow up hearing marriage is supposed to be hard. And so I put up with unfathomable hard for 11 years. 
And now I have seen a hard that's very different, right? Some days we have hard days, some days we have great days, but now I know what it means where it should be hard. No, marriage doesn't have to be that hard all the time. And I just wish someone would have given me the information you have. Before we dive in too deep, can you share a little bit about who you are and why you're so passionate about this work? So I'm Sharon Pope and I am a relationship coach and I help women who are struggling in what feels like lonely and disconnected marriages get the confidence and clarity that they need so that they can either fix the struggles in their marriage or be able to move forward without the regret associated with it. Yeah. And why are you so passionate about that particular part of marriage? It's such an enormous decision. And I feel like there just wasn't anyone out there talking about it. And all I want to talk about all day long is relationships anyway. And the only time people want to talk about relationships, especially with a coach, is when things aren't going well. And having you and I have both been through a first marriage that didn't work out. And we had to navigate those waters of unwinding a marriage and what the heck that looks like. And then diving back into dating and trying to open your heart to love again and trusting marriage again. And so that whole thing is just such a, I feel like there's lots of relationship books out there on like how to make it work no matter what, you know, and there's probably more than a few on like how to divorce, but how do you know what to do and what's right for you and what's right for your family? And that's why I'm so passionate about it. Yeah. I am so thankful that you're talking about this. And I talk about it with a lot of our members that are in our highest level coaching program, our Conquer and Thrive program. We do a lot of kind of unraveling things and really getting clear on our own personal boundaries and what are non-negotiables for ourselves. What are things that we really need in our life? I find that a lot of parents and especially women, they lose themselves in parenthood. And so it's really hard for them to stand up for themselves and say, this is what I want and need. And then beyond just have having the ability to talk it out and be able to, like you said, fix the problems or come create solutions in the marriage, it's really hard to stand up and say, no, I'm not going to put up with this anymore. And what where that line should be. And I find that I see so many people in what I think borderline abusive relationships. And because there's not a physical abuse, they stay in it thinking that they're supposed to muster through it and they're supposed to just keep going. And like I said, I'm so thankful we're having this conversation and I know it's going to help someone's life. Let's begin there because when we're talking abuse, I feel like there's a line there that that really goes into unhealth. It's beyond just, I'm not a good communicator or I'm conflict avoidant. And I, when things are good between us, I just want to keep the peace. Abuse goes beyond that. So let's just talk about that. I feel like anymore, the percentage of women that I see that are in mentally, emotionally, sometimes financially abusive relationships has gone up. I don't know what the stats were before. I don't know what they are today. I can tell you it's a lot more. And most people don't view themselves as being in an abusive relationship unless there's punches. And often I will say, if those words were punches, would you be bruised right now? 
would you be black and blue? And if the answer is yes, then we got to look at that. And I feel like the, I have some hunches as to why this is. And a lot of it has to do with anger. There's hurt underneath and it gets expressed as anger and sometimes rage. And then we think that's the way that we're going to get our partner to hear us. And one of the things that I like to talk about is actually when you get into yelling or just you're going to have arguments. Look, <laughs> the point here is not to get to a place of where you're never going to have an argument because that place doesn't exist. When you live that closely with someone over the course of, I don't know, decades together, you're going to rub up against each other and there's going to be arguments. But it's how you argue that can either create more problems or can actually even help bring you closer together. But you got to get clear about how to argue better. The best way I know to do that is to start a how we argue sort of rules of the road create the rules in advance like you can't do it in the middle of an argument <laughs> this is not the time to create the rules but you create the rules during a time of peace to be able to say what are how are we going to do this well there's going to be times that we disagree with each other how do we want to do that and i always say start with the idea that you're being filmed and this is going to be put on Facebook so that all your family and friends are going to see how you show up. Now, what are the rules we want to establish for each other when we don't agree? How are we going to communicate with one another? And start there and create those ground rules. And then when one of you falls off of those ground rules, because of course you will, then that's the time to go, wait a minute, we've stepped outside of these rules that we created. Let's take a break. We'll come back when things are calmer. Yeah, I love that. I mean, we talk so much and we've talked about our plans. We have ride the storm plans and ahead of the moment plans. And what you're talking about is an ahead of the moment plan for what you'll do when you argue and then reverting to a ride the storm plan when one of you oversteps one of those personal boundaries and one of those agreements that you have agreed upon and saying, you know what, let's put a pin in it. Now is not the time. Let's step away. Let's go to our, let's each go to our corners and calm down. So I love that you're sharing that. I think that's a really powerful tool for anyone who's listening to this and for any relationship. What would you say are some of those signs that people might want to watch out for though that it's teetering beyond just, we don't know how to have a good art. We don't know how to have a discussion. We don't know how to communicate. We don't know how to argue. When it gets personal, when there is insults, criticisms, particularly contempt, right? When you don't like someone, you speak a different way to them. And so when you get to that place and we start acting out from that place, of I don't respect you and I don't like you, that is a, that's a time to really pay attention because you are in the danger zone. And of course, boundaries are super important. Like when someone, I always I tell my clients, look, if he starts yelling at you, you don't have to sit there and take that. You can say, look, you're either going to lower your tone to something that's reasonable so that we can have a calm discussion, or I'm going to walk away right now. And we can pick this conversation back up later. The thing to recognize about that, though, is that if you keep doing that and you never come back to the discussion, then it actually ends up working for your partner because all he has to do, and I'm going to make some, I speak in heterosexual terms because that's most of my clients, but obviously it's not like there's lots of ways family families look. But let's say he's yelling and you're 
like, oh, if you're going to speak to me like that, I'm leaving. And then you never come back to it again. Well, then he knows he's learning. All he has to do is yell, raise his voice. And then we don't have to talk about this thing that I really don't want to talk about. Right. So don't train him that we're never going to talk about it. You train him that we're only going to talk about it when we can be calm, especially when you're talking about your kids. Come on. Like marriage is hard enough. We, you both have the best interest of the kids at heart. You just disagree on how to get there. And if you're arguing about it and you're yelling at each other about it, then you have an underlying feeling that my way is the right way. And he or she is an idiot for not seeing it that way. And therein lies the disrespect part. I know that you see a lot. Uh, we see eye to eye in that we have to really start with our our own mindset first. If we're going to get to the decision or we're going to create a solution um, but what are some of the most common either mindset shifts that need to happen or some of the most common like misconceptions that maybe uh, someone might be having going into this situation that they need to be thinking about? On the heels of having an argument or not agreeing on maybe the way that we should handle something with the kids, I would say that we need to start from a place of look, our partner's not an idiot. Let's begin there. <laughs> that there's some reason, there's probably some perfectly valid reason that they see it the way that they do. And if you can approach it as I want to understand, help me understand your perspective because you and I see this differently. But the problem is that most of the time when we have one of those, I call it, we need to talk conversations, the five dreaded words, we need to, four dreaded, four dreaded words, we need to talk. It starts from a bad place. Because as soon as you say, we need to talk, then they armor up, they're going to get defensive and they're not even going to hear you because they know that they're going to be criticized or attacked. Instead, if it's like, hey, we don't see eye to eye on this, but I would love to understand your perspective. And if you would take the time to explain that to me, I, I, I want to listen. I want to hear you. And then you genuinely seek to understand. You don't listen and then think, oh, I know how to rebuttal that, or this is where he's wrong or whatever. You genuinely listen to understand their perspective because there is some reason why they feel the way that they do. And it might be something from their own upbringing that colors their own lens, just like your upbringing colors your lens. But if you just go into it with kind of an open heart, open mind approach of, look, I married this person. They're not an idiot. There must be, and, and they love our children the same way that I do. So help me understand you. And then you let them talk. You let them empty themselves until they're done. And then when you, when they're done, ask them, here's what I heard you say. Does that feel complete? Did I understand it? Now, I would love to share with you my perspective if you're open to hearing about it. I call that getting the nod. Because as soon as you get the nod of, yeah, I'm open to hearing about it. Now they're listening. And by the way, you just modeled the exact behavior that you want to receive, which is them genuinely listening. And now they're not thinking of all the rebuttals because they've emptied themselves. So even if you can just start from that place of seeking to understand, because most of us, we go into those conversations with, we need to talk means I've got some things I want to tell you. You need to sit down, shut up and listen. <laughs> and no one actually wants to listen. We all want to be heard, but no one wants to listen. So we've got to get better at it. Yeah. What are some other like scripts or ways that we can build that connection and almost like that 
smooth into conversations if conversations are hard for us and our partner. Um, and especially if we're still on that verge of not knowing if we're in a healthy or unhealthy relationship, like what should we be looking at in, in our bids for affection or our bids for connection with our partner? So I would love to, I'm going to bring it back or bring it up a notch or something, but if you are not actively, regularly, consistently communicating with your partner, then this is going to always feel hard and it doesn't have to. So something as simple as spending 20 to 30 minutes one day a week for the two of you, I call it the state of the union, like talk about your relationship, talk about what's working, what's not, how you can support each other. That alone will open up the conversation and make these other hard things so much easier. But if we never, like what most people do, <laughs> we get married, it feels effortless. It feels new and exciting and interesting. And then we put the marriage over here on a shelf so that we can pour our love, time, attention, focus, energy into what we want to create next, which might be a career or a business. It might be a family and kids and a home. But that's where all of our love and attention goes. And so that's what thrives. This thing that we've turned our back on, of course, is not thriving. And then 10 years later, when that disconnection has grown over time, now we're shocked that it's not thriving. And usually what we're arguing about is never really the thing. It's always what's the hurt underneath, right? And if we can understand that about each other, then we can connect better. But, we're, but what we mostly do is we end up talking about the kids, the home, the weather. We might talk about work and then we wonder why we're disconnected. Dana here, and guess what? My book, Calm the Chaos, has officially launched. So if you enjoy the podcast and find the stuff we're sharing valuable, I'm 100% sure you're going to love the book. You can get your copy at calmthechaosbook.com. And if you use this link, you'll also get some special bonuses. So once again, the link is calmthechaosbook.com. Thanks. I hope you're enjoying the show. Can we talk about those very transactional things? I'm picking up the kid today. Who's doing laundry? Who's doing this? What are we having for dinner? But we don't talk about like how things are going and we don't talk about our own relationship. Right. We don't talk about it until there's a problem. And so then the only time we're talking about our relationship is when there's problems. And we never really stop and go, what worked really well between us last week? Or when you did that, babe, like that just made me feel so loved. Thank you. And by the way, anything you appreciate in your partner, you will get more of. But when we're only talking about the problems, what do we get more of? More problems. <laughs> I mean, it sounds ridiculous that most of us won't spend 20 or 30 minutes talk, just talking with our partner about us as a couple. And if your partner gives you any pushback on that or you're feeling any resistance to it, then understand it's just because you have this underlying belief that somewhere along the way you picked up that marriage should be effortless, that it should be easy and we shouldn't actually have to work at it. We should just come into it and love should be enough. And my friends, love is not enough. <laughs> so, and, and, and if you're not willing to spend 20 or 30 minutes with your partner once a week, what are we doing? We're raising children together. We're building a life together. We're spending, like we said, till death do us part and we don't want to spend 20 minutes together, that's crazy town. <laughs> Let's just get comfortable with the idea that I need to spend 20 to 30 minutes with my partner, just connecting with them, talking about what's working, talking about what's not between us, because that will make the rest of this so much easier. 
Yeah, because like you said, otherwise, when you do bring something up, their sirens are going to go off and they're going to be like, oh my gosh, she's coming at me again, or I'm in trouble again. I've done something wrong again. And then you end up neither one of you wanting to have those conversations at all. I promise you, you ask your partner once a week, how can I support you this coming week? Do that for a month consistently and see if things don't change in terms of the, the tone between the two of you. There are some very simple, like what worked well between us last week? What didn't work well between us last week? Are there any stressors in your week ahead? And how can I support you? Like those are simple, basic questions. And you can ask the exact same questions every single week. You don't have to make this up. You can just use those questions and it will open up conversation between the two of you, I promise. I, I love a good script around here. So I love that because I find that, especially when you're in a stressful situation, it's hard to remember what to say or to recall some of that. And so when you keep it super simple like that of having the same scripts every single yes. week. And by the way, it needs to be scheduled because guess what? If it's not scheduled, it doesn't happen. If I don't write it down, it doesn't happen. But if it's not scheduled, it doesn't happen. And just if little Johnny had baseball practice every Tuesday, you wouldn't be like, oh, I'm just too busy for that. I can't do that. You wouldn't. You, you, you move everything around. You move your day around that baseball practice. That's the same thing you got to do here because otherwise it won't happen. Life is busy for everybody and it's not going to slow down anytime soon. Especially when you're raising, raising kids or you're struggling with your kids' behavior or the things that are going on in your life. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I always say, if it doesn't get scheduled, it doesn't get done. Like I am wanting to do something with my 16 year old right now. He's wanting help with his driver's test. And I'm like, well, you got to find a time in the schedule and it's got to be put in my calendar every single day or I will forget. And it's not because I don't care about you or want to spend time helping you. So absolutely. I love that. Like it must get scheduled, put it in the calendar. And by the way, you're allowed to, wait a minute, you're allowed to make it fun. Go have brunch on Sunday morning together. Like you're allowed to have fun with this. <laughs> Something like that. Yes, absolutely. We do. We've been doing a walk together. So we'll do an hour walk together. And a lot of times this will come up during that. We have these conversations on a very regular basis at this point. And, but when we were first getting started, it was 20 minutes here or 30 minutes here. So I'm curious, this whole conversation kind of came about because of your expertise in that part that a lot of people don't talk about is how do you know? How do you make a decision on if this is a marriage to stay in or if this is a marriage and stay in and work on or if this is a marriage that is not sustainable or is not right for you? And so I feel like this is where that understanding piece that I talk about having some red flags or having a checklist that you can go down. Are there some things that you have your clients look at to make help them make that decision? So this is such a personal decision that I don't feel like there's this textbook of if the, if this, then this, if this, then this, but here's what I can say. We come into marriage with essentially love, hope, and what we saw as an example growing up. And our parents didn't have any tools or training either. But I don't care what you want to do in this world. You want to be an author, you're going to need some tools and training. You want to be an accountant, you're going to need some tools and training. You want to be a doctor, tools and training. Janitor, you're going to need to know where the mops are and where the cleaning solution is and what, how to do things. Like you're going to need, but we don't get any of that coming into marriage. 
So we got our parents' example of how they interact and and what marriage and love and relationship is supposed to look like. And while they were doing the best they can, some people had a brilliant example, but even if they did have a brilliant example, times have changed, right? The expectations for marriage are completely different today than they were for my mother's generation, right? My dad, I don't think he ever changed my diaper. He literally was across the street getting a sandwich when I was born, right? It's a different generation. It's a different time. When I also think about one of my guilty pleasures is to watch Married at First Sight, which is like, it's terrible. It's terrible. I know. But it's one of my guilty pleasures. And this one couple was getting married and they were talking about this one girl was looking at her mom and she's, I want what you and dad have. And you could just see it written all over the mom's face. Like, girl, you have no clue what we've been through. Like you could just see it written on mom's face. And I just think even if you have a beautiful example you still don't actually know behind the curtains what actually went on and you don't know how it was dealt with. And so I think that we have a misconception, like we have, we have like goggles on when we look at our parents' relationships as something that we uphold as the example. And we don't always know what it took to get there or what our mom had to sacrifice or our dad did or what any of those things. Now I grew up in interesting examples. So I don't have that to do. I got to see a lot of behind the scenes on mine. But yeah, I, I got to see what not to do. Some people had brilliant examples. Some people had not so brilliant examples. That's me. Yeah. My mom was married. I think, gosh, I forgive me, mom, if I get this wrong, like four times, five times. And then my dad, three, four, something like that. I mean, I've definitely seen lots of examples. So there's my plus. At least I've got lots and lots of examples. But that's all we came in with. And most people aren't terribly successful. Look at the divorce rates, right? And even people who stay together, a lot of them aren't happily remaining together. They just stay together because they said till death. So back to your question, I think, no, that's okay. We, it's easy for us to get on a tangent. Sorry about that. <laughs> but we come in. It's really easy for my ADHD brain to get on a tangent, but back to our question. Here we but go. We, Ready? <laughs> we don't come in with a lot of tools and training. And of course, we're not terribly successful. So to get to a place of a decision, I think you've got to give it like somewhere between 90 days and six months of like really concerted effort. Now, when I say that, a lot of people will go, okay, I know what to do. I'm going to be nice. I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to help out. I start to twitch when women say he'll help me more around the house. I'm like, no, he's not helping you. He's taking care of responsibilities that the two of you co-created. <laughs> That's what's happening. He's not helping you. <laughs> so We've got to be able to, <laughs> we've got to be able to come together and talk about this stuff a little bit easier because we didn't have any tools. So don't just be nice. Be nice as table stakes, people. If you're not going to be nice to your partner, why could you choose to get married to them and be in your most intimate relationship with them forever? So what would that six to nine months look like? That's to me, I feel like if I was, and it's very similar, right? Like none of this is a quick fix. Like when I think of the advice that I give parents working with the relationship with their kids, I'm like, look, we got to, one, we've got to talk about that connection that we were talking about earlier, but also 
kind of got to unravel things. We didn't get here in six to nine months. And so how are we going to figure out where we're at in the state of the union of what we want? And so is that kind of what you're saying here is let's unravel where things are, where they're working, where they're not working. I would say also, of course, get equipped with some real relationship tools, not just rely on the basics of I'm going to be nice. I'm going to listen a little more. I'm going to help whatever that looks like is get equipped with some real tools so that you can have difficult conversations so that you understand not only what your needs are, which by the way, most of us don't understand our needs, but then you can understand your partner's needs and understand how the two of you meet those needs in the relationship. Because if you don't know that, then all we're doing is trying to force our agenda on another person. And if you look at your parents' example, anyone who's going like marriage to marriage to marriage, it's just they're looking for it. They think it's the right person who's going to make it easy. And the thing is, our most intimate relationships are there to press our buttons. It's there to bring up our stuff so that it can be healed. And when you start to look at your relationship more like a path towards knowing myself better and, and personal growth, there's nothing that'll make you grow like problems and problems in a marriage. <laughs> I'm not saying that they're fun because they're not fun, but they're going to be there. And that's an opportunity. And when we run away from the opportunity automatically, when it gets hard, then we just think we're going to go find someone else. And lo and behold, more opportunities arise. <laughs> and then we just, we keep doing the same pattern until we start to look at our role in the creation of that experience, because it always takes two, my friends. I know we always think that our approach is not the, the one that is creating toxicity inside the marriage, but it always takes two people, right? Even if your partner's super controlling, there's a part of you that is willing to be controlled. Otherwise you wouldn't have made it past the second date, much less get married, right? So yeah, we've got to get equipped with real relationship tools. Now there's no shortage of relationship tools out there. Speaking, we are both people who have written books. I've written nine of them, folks. There's more than 400,000 relationship books on Amazon today. If books solve the problem alone, would we have the struggles in our marriage that we do today? No, we wouldn't. Books alone doesn't solve the problem because most people read the book. They get a little bit smarter. They have more knowledge, but it doesn't mean they apply it because applying it is hard. Trying it and failing and being willing to try again and being willing to try again and being willing to try again so that you can perfect the new tool that you're learning. That's where like coaching and support and community and all the beautiful things that people get in your community, that's where it makes a difference because it's in the application that makes it hard. But you've got to first get the knowledge and then get the application so that you can really start applying the tools that you're learning. And that's when you give your 100% with new tools in your kit. And you do that for a concerted effort of 90 days, six months, and see if something doesn't switch. If something shifts inside the relationship, beautiful. It gives you hope to go do another 60 days or another six months, right? And then things start to feel different between the two of you. And if they don't, then you do have an answer that you can live with and you can make peace with. And you've learned how to love differently. And so your next relationship will look and feel different because you're different. I love that. 
So you're looking for these small shifts. You're applying a tool or a strategy. You're learning more about yourself, your partner. You're learning more about your communication styles. You're learning more about what works for them, what doesn't work. And then you're just looking for that shift and that proof that change can happen. Am I hearing that correct? Yeah, most people, by the time they find their way to my work, they don't have hope anymore. They feel like, because they've been trying, it hasn't, the marriage hasn't felt good for a while and they've been trying, they've been trying everything they know to try and it hasn't worked. So then they feel like, I guess it's hopeless, but then walking through divorce feels terrifying. So then they just get stuck right there in this place of, I call it comfortably numb, where they're not taking steps towards making it work and they're not taking steps to leave it. But this is a known thing that they can wake up in every day and they can continue to exist in every day, even though it doesn't feel good. Yeah, that's really powerful. So talk to me, and I know you've written nine books and you have a community of your own. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But if you could leave someone with some tools to try today, some small, or if they just tried one tool for the next 60 to 90 days, is there one that you would recommend starting with when you're in this place of indecision? The very first place I would begin is like that weekly state of the union, because it just makes, it just opens everything up. It opens up the conversation. The other thing that we've touched on is you letting your partner speak first. So instead of you just diving into, here's what I want you to know, here's what I want to share, here's what I want to say, you let them speak first and you seek to understand versus just wanting to get your point across. The other thing is notice when you have this underlying need to be right and what we're making that mean. The question alone, and this is more like the mindset and the personal growth within and how you're showing up. The one question is when you feel negative emotion, like any kind of like frustration or anger or sadness or whatever, as it relates to your marriage is stop and ask yourself, what am I making this mean? That alone, oh my gosh, it saved me so many arguments. The powerful one. Yeah, that meaning and attachment to what we're making it mean. We talk about that with children's behavior all the time. And, but with our partners, it happens, right? What are we making it mean when our partner doesn't listen to us, when they don't take out the trash, when they don't? And I know we did a, a podcast episode for yours as well. And we were talking about how I leave my socks everywhere, or I don't always turn to my husband when he's talking to me. And what could he make that mean, right? If he was getting frustrated, he could make that mean that I don't care about him, that I don't respect him, that I don't care about his needs. And so I, I love this reminder. I think it's super important to bring it back to that mindset piece and that growth piece, that self-development piece of just, what am I making this mean? Because we can't make progress if we're not focusing also on our own perception. And our language and the words that we use is what is creating the emotions that we're feeling. And so if we're not feeling good, we've got to look for what is the meaning that I'm giving this. Now, it might be spot on that the exact meaning that you're giving it is the exact meaning your partner intended. But I promise you, at least 95% of the time, that's not the case. <laughs> because your partner isn't waking up every day going, how can I mess with her today? 
how can I really just hurt her deeply today? That's my goal. No one is saying that. And if they are, we can help you make that right. decision That's today. Yeah, we're done. There's the decision. This is not a healthy relationship. Bye-bye. Yeah. Right? Like you deserve more than that. And I'm curious your thoughts. I have another question for you, but as we are talking about that, because I can see someone listening to this and I meet so many people who are in really, really bad situations with their kids and sometimes with their marriages as well. And so I could see that someone listening to this might be like, I don't know, have you met my partner? I mean, if they are actively trying to hurt you, if they don't care about your needs, they're not ready to be in a relationship because that's what relationships are about. Most people, it's not quite there. It's we're misunderstanding each other and we're acting towards each other from a place of hurt and fear. And when fear is present, and by the way, it always is, because every single person on the planet has the fear that I'm somehow not enough. And because I'm not enough, I'm not going to be loved. Your husband has it. When we are being mistreated, if that is the case, if we go back to a few minutes ago when we were talking and you said, I'm sure that this is not the case, that your part, nobody wakes up and says, I want to hurt you. And, and we might have someone who's listening to this and they say, well, that is happening in my relationship. And I wanted you to talk about how we are worthy of having a relationship where someone else cares about us and puts us first and not even puts us first, but just is human decency towards us and doesn't want to hurt us. And that we we owe that to ourselves. I don't know. That was just something coming to me. And you just kind of hit it is that so many of us don't feel worthy. We have all this self-doubt. We have all this shame, all this guilt we carry around. That's our partner and ourselves. But I think as women, we carry around so much of it. And then we allow people to treat us in a way that we never dreamed of allowing people to treat us. You just touched on something that I, I was sitting here going, okay, I could just now talk for an hour. So I'm going to, I'm going to not do that. <laughs> it's okay. But this is the thing that like fires me up. If you can't tell, just because I see so, and, and for a long time, I didn't feel worthy and I didn't feel like I deserved someone who was honest with me and someone who shared their feelings with me and someone that didn't hide things from me and someone that treated me with kind words and didn't make fun of me in front of our friends. I just thought that was just like what I signed up for. So I saw a stat recently that said that 80% of women feel unworthy to some degree and that 73% of men feel inadequate. They would never say unworthy. They wouldn't say not enough. They don't use that language like we do, but they would say I'm inadequate in some way, shape or form. So we're both coming into a relationship where you bring your whole selves with you and it's all laid out before your partner, like all the good, bad and ugly. And we come into relationships sometimes thinking that our partner is going to heal those rough spots for us, not realizing that each of us has some of our own work to do. And we're just bringing those wounds into the relationship and hoping that they're going to be the ones to heal it. And they haven't healed their own stuff and you haven't healed your own stuff. So yes, of course, you have to believe that you are worthy of being loved because everyone is worthy of being loved. I think the easiest way to make, the quickest and easiest way to make that point is imagine we are all standing in a hospital, looking through the glass at all the little babies in their incubators. And we're standing there and you and I are talking and we're like, well, that one, they're worthy, aren't they? Oh, but that one, mm -mm, no, they're not worthy of love or kindness or compassion. They're not, 
Like we would never, ever, ever do that. But somewhere along the way, growing up, we pick up that if I don't do the right things, if I don't do the things that mom and dad want me to do or the teachers want me to do, if I don't achieve whatever it is I need to achieve, then somehow I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not whatever enough that then subtly leads to I'm not worthy of love, which you know, you know, I could tell you like Dana and I could sit here and we could make up a song about it or something and sing it to you. You have to feel it, but you know, instinctively at your core, at your essence, you know that you're worthy of love. You just have to remind yourself of that periodically. Now that leads to two other things that I want to say, <laughs> which is you actually are supposed to put your partner first, which I know is blasphemy for a mother. I know, I know. Many of you are like, wait, what did she just say? I hate Sharon Hope. No, <laughs> just stay with me here for a second. Everything we build, whether it's, we're going to use the house metaphor, <laughs> you two coming together and choosing to love one another as best you can is the foundation of the house. You start building on top of that by having children and taking on a mortgage and <laughs> building a life together. But if everything you're building is on top of a very shaky foundation, then how can we expect the, the things that we're pouring our time and attention into, which is our kids often, because we love to do that, right? That's the nurturing, caretaking part of us. And that feels easy. It also, by the way, is safe because our kids, our love for our kids is unconditional. And we think our kids' love for us is unconditional, even though as adults, that proves sometimes to not be true. But so it's very safe where it doesn't feel safe. It doesn't feel guaranteed. It certainly doesn't feel unconditional inside of our marriages. So we have to start placing, let's just say a higher priority on our marriages than we do today. But for most people, we set aside our marriages and pour all of our love and energy and attention into our kids. They do need our love and attention. Of course they do, but it's not an either or. And when you are investing in your partner, and the relationship, by the way, you now have a partner in terms of helping raise the kids, like in a way that you probably don't have today. The last thing I will say about that is, and this is, there's in terms of one tool that I would say to do, and it's really more of a, mind, a mindset shift, but there's also action in it, which is we all have things that we want to be on the receiving end of. We want to be loved. We want to be appreciated. We might want to be desired. Whatever it is that we want, we have to be willing to give. Otherwise, we're just being a hypocrite. So we have to, someone has to step into that gap because if you're not feeling loved, I promise you, your partner isn't feeling loved either. So you're both sitting there not feeling loved with this huge disconnection between the two of you. Someone has to step into that gap and be willing to understand how their partner receives love and give it to them in that way so that they can feel loved. So there's a little bit of we're going to have to get over ourselves because we all want what we want, but we want other people to do it. We want them to do the hard work and the heavy lifting. We don't actually want to do it. So we have to be willing to give the love that we want to receive. I love that. Okay. So we're about to wrap up, but one question I love to ask everyone is if you were sitting in front of, which I know you do all the time in the work that you do, but if you were sitting in front of, a parent and they are wondering, 
should I go? Should I stay? And they're in that place of indecision. What is the one thing that you want them to hear before like they leave you? What is that one, one thing that's on your heart that you want them to know? I want them to know that if you're okay, your kids will be okay. No matter what you choose. Because that is one of the biggest things that will keep people stuck in really bad marriages for a long time because they think that they're, because they're afraid that their children will suffer somehow. And no parent wants their children to suffer. And what I can tell you is that I have seen struggling marriages get better. And now we're showing our kids a better example of what love and marriage can look like. Like we can disagree and we can come through hard times and we can act as a team sort of thing. And then I've seen marriages where the answer was to end the relationship, but because they did it from a place of respect and peace and even love, I've seen kids thrive on the other side of divorce in ways that they never did when the two parents were married. I've seen it happen again and again. So but it all comes down to, they're looking to you to be their sense of groundedness. And if you're out of control, then they're going to feel like, oh, they're not safe. And all kids ultimately want to know is that they're safe and that they're loved. A hundred percent. Yeah. So Sharon, where can listeners follow you, find out more, hear about your nine books that you have and your amazing programs that you have? There is a free training that I want to offer to your community and they can go to SharonPopeFreeTraining.com. It's a four-part video series on navigating the stay or go question and the things that you need to think about and the actions that you need to take so that then you have some kind of plan in place for yourself. Okay. Thank you so much. And we will make sure that we put those links in the show notes. And if you're listening to this and any of this has resonated, I always ask you guys to reach out to our guest. So send Sharon a message, send me a DM and let me know what has resonated with you, what action you're going to take, because we don't want to just keep consuming information. We want to take action. And so what is one thing you're going to do after listening to this episode? And I would just want to remind you that you are doing the absolute best with what you've been given and what you have in front of you and that you're not alone. And I want to just re-emphasize this one last time because Sharon talked about it and I talked about it. You are worthy of love. So with that, I can't wait to talk to each and every one of you on next week's episode. Bye guys. Oh, and before I go, one quick note for all of you who are enjoying the podcast. My new book is officially live and I know you're going to love it. So just a quick reminder, you can go get your copy at calmthechaosbook.com. And if you do, you'll get some cool bonuses as well. Once again, get your copy at calmthechaosbook.com and I'll see you next week.